Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dissecting Liberty podcast. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Cotton. Howdy. And today, we have on, for the third time, uh, the Politocrat. I guess you can't get any better guests. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, man. No, uh, <laughs> we enjoy talking to you. Um, right. So... Apparently, recently, you have changed your mind about private policing and how that could work I uh, have. in our current society. I and uh, so we're going to talk about that. All right. Uh, yeah, um, I'm good with that. Yeah. So we talk about. But yeah, let, let's first get into um, current events. I mean, obviously, we have um, a bunch of civil unrest right now and. A lot of that has to do with uh, people kind of becoming more aware of uh, police brutality, especially um, when it comes, like in, in terms of like the racial aspect. Uh, you know, you have BLM out there um, marching and and uh, talking about how uh, you know how black people have a, a more difficult time in this country, especially mm -hmm. when it comes uh, to how they're treated by police. Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't think that's really something you could even argue. I mean, I I've seen people, for instance, on social media trying to downplay how much of a racial factor that it is. Um, but I mean, for instance, like black people, they are disproportionately victims of police brutality. And regardless of whether or not it is inherently racially motivated, or if it just so happens to be that black communities are like usually lower economic uh, status and usually crime is higher in those areas. I don't think it matters either way, but the truth is that black people are disproportionately the victims of police brutality. And uh, I think that needs to stop. I mean, I think there is a big racial aspect to it though, especially in like big cities and um, yeah. Yeah. And like, I would definitely agree with that. Um, I, I definitely think that they do get uh, targeted more and uh, you know, whatever the reason I, to me, it doesn't really matter. Uh, yeah, well, it matter. All that matters is that they're disproportionately higher in terms of like the victim rate, like as opposed to people who are white. And I do think that has to do with the disparities between um, like minorities who are generally of so lower socioeconomic status as opposed to whites. So yeah, I think that there's, I think that that's a big um, factor in that. Yeah, and like I. I tend to think like I, I guess I'm I, I think of things very in a very like individualist sense exactly like for so instance, I yeah like I think that regardless of who is the victim of police brutality it is all equally bad however yeah, yeah however it is also very nefarious that it happens to be racially motivated a lot as well but yeah I get what you mean kind of like more of like the consequence being more 
important as opposed to necessarily the motivation? Well, I, I think, uh, like, there, there are a couple things to take into account, like, um, you know, like, the average conservative response is there's more crime in black neighborhoods, right? But, yeah, that has nothing to do with the, the yeah, but aspect. It has to do with, I think, the economic. Uh, exactly, yeah. Like, yeah, ask yeah. yourself why there's more crime in those neighborhoods. You know? Exactly. Like, ask yourself why George Floyd had, quote, allegedly had, like, a counterfeit $20 bill. He just got laid off, you know? Exactly. No, yeah, exactly. And this is, I think it's all linked to what's going on. Even, uh, like, the rioting, for instance. I'm not yeah. talking about the peaceful protests. I'm talking about the rioting. Um, because I was actually talking to a psychiatrist yesterday and I was asking what her take on it in terms of, um, maybe like the link to mental health, that sort of thing. And she told me that, well, of course, I, I like, of course the rioters, they are most certainly motivated to go out because of the George Floyd thing. Like there is no, there is no denying that, or at least a good many of them are. However, she said that the rioting probably wouldn't have happened if it weren't for the COVID that were going on because yeah. people have just had so much anxiety and have just been so kind of repressed, haven't had anything to do. And it's almost like they're using that as a pretense to go out and kind of take that anger out. So of course yeah. the anger was triggered by the George Ford thing. But or the George Floyd murder, murder. I don't want to call it a thing, um, right? But, but there definitely was. That was what triggered them, like the last straw, horse on the camel's back, to go out and kind of take out all that vented, vented up rage from like not having access to society, essentially. And then when you think of the whole, like there was a whole debate about whether we should open the economy, whether we should keep the economy closed. And the stupid thing is that became a partisan issue because whatever position one side takes, the other side takes the opposite. Yeah. And a lot of nuance to it because the truth is like during the whole COVID thing, suicides were on the rise. And yeah. I know exactly, yeah. I know, yeah, I know exactly what it's like to not be able to work. Because when I am not working personally, this is for me, I'm not saying this is for everybody, but I assume a lot of people are like this as well. Not like for the sake of my mental health, I need to be working mm -hmm. because it gives me something to do. And when I'm not working, I've noticed I tend to gravitate towards more destructive behaviors. And by that, I don't mean drugs or anything. I mean like prank calling the government and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, just stuff, just kind of getting into getting into shenanigans that probably I should be avoiding. But yeah, yeah. I'm going off topic, I think. So, but right. yeah, I do I do think that there are a lot of things that are playing into this. Uh, if the co if COVID never happened and there was no sh there was no lockdown, I think that all of the protests would have been peaceful, or at least for the most part. Yeah, I, I definitely do think that uh, the code, like, you know, having people cooped up and, and anxious uh, definitely played, it, it may have played like the biggest factor in all of this in terms of how the protest turned violent. But I mean, I, I don't know uh, how, how aware or how much, how much you watched uh, kind of what was happening, but uh, 
are you were like did you see all the uh the pallets of bricks that would randomly show up in these uh urban you know urban areas where the protests were scheduled to to be held and then you had these cops um specifically yeah, that's, that's because there were a lot, a lot of people that were coming out of town to go to those protests and I think that are not the protests that to do the riots. Like, I mean, fine that like people come out of town to do the protests, but then didn't we actually, um, I actually heard, and I don't know how true this is or not. I remember reading in, honestly, I think it was the, it was the New York Times. So I don't, I don't think it was an op-ed though. And sometimes I like, sometimes I like to give the mainstream media the benefit of the doubt. And um, I will in this case, but I heard that, there were both white nationalists and black bar or black block anarchists who were coming into town to take part in that whole thing to use as a pretense to essentially I don't know. See, I, 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 I have I have I have my issue is like the, the black block black block anarchists like the Antifa. Antifa, right. Like okay, you see them; they're obviously not anarchists, but that's a that's a soapbox for another day. But like the the white supremacist thing is what I really have the problem with. <laughs> it's like because if if there were that... a white supremacists there, you'd think you would see them. You know what I mean? <laughs> with everybody recording the entire thing, like everybody's so quick to get their phone out and record nowadays, you'd think you'd see like somebody walking around with a tiki torture or a tiki torture some shit. You know what I mean? But, yeah, no, I mean, I know what you mean. I mean, however, I do think that um, what I don't get is all of the outrage on the on the right for Black Lives Matter. Like, I yeah. mean, like, mm -hmm. like, okay, and I also think we need to differentiate between the movement and the organization because I mean, there are some radical parts of the organization. I I think there are radical aspects of pretty much every organization because organizations like that tend not to be monoliths. Um, right. I think that the ethos of what the movement stands for, which a lot of people who are in the organization follow the ethos of, um, is inherently good in terms of its motivation. And the one problem is that it just, I don't know, it just seems like a lot of people on the right get unnecessarily outraged about that like i don't know where that comes from because it, it's not like they're a bunch of like communists who or terrorists who go around destroying stuff yeah i've heard them characterized like that and it just makes absolutely no sense to me yeah like that that's that's my issue with how uh right-wing people and left-wing people to a certain degree portray organizations like black lives matter and uh antifa you know, like they're not a real thing. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, and, and Tifa, for this instance, collection of of nothings. You know, yeah. they're not an organized thing like Fox News says. Like Fox News paints it in a negative light, and then MSNBC paints it in a positive light. But they're well, wrong. I don't think MSNBC thing. paints them in a positive light. They just like they just act like, oh yeah, we understand. So it's it's more so covering for them as opposed. Yeah, to excuse me. Yeah, fair fair enough. Yeah. But you so, know, what I mean, like, I don't like want, like, they all treat no, them no, like they're a central organization, you know? Yeah, I know. And so the thing is, so yeah, they're not a central organization. They are not a centralized organization. Yeah. But 
from what I am aware, there are organized cells, quote unquote. I mean, yeah. not not like with hierarchies or dues, yeah. or not like <laughs> not like like the Masons or anything. But uh-huh. but um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So because like I mean, you see even online like they have, like some of them have websites and some of them have merchandise. I just find that kind of funny. But, <laughs> Yeah, it's oh, yeah. like all the Twitter accounts Antifa yeah, of New York. So, however, I, I do think that a lot of them like are well intent like well intended. And I think that probably only and don't don't get me wrong, I'm I'm not necessarily a fan of that particular method of protest that they support in particular. However, I do understand where they're coming from. I mean I'm not talking about the um the looters in Minneapolis, but I'm just, I'm again, still talking about the anti-fascist movement right now, but the ones that you actually see at, um, I'm trying to think of a good example. The ones who, you know, when all the conservatives say, they're like, Oh yeah. Antifa's just coming and attacking us and all that stuff. And while that does happen, I don't believe that it is a majority of them. I think it's just the ones that participate in black bloc tactics. Like for instance, yeah. I, have an, yeah, I have an acquaintance who I've been on several podcasts before in the past who identifies uh, with Antifa, and she said that uh, she—I mean, she said that she's essentially socially more of like a libertarian and an individualist, but in terms of like economics and stuff, is essentially a socialist, but um, does not believe in violent tactics and she was talking on uh, the episode of the podcast we were on about how the majority of them don't actually go out and do that and i'm inclined to, i'm inclined to believe her I, I i personally like giving people the benefit of the doubt with what they say unless i don't have a reason to do so but i do think that they are a major boogeyman yeah, like, but when it comes to the good Antifa members, I can't help but see them as, like, uh, I, I can't help but see, like, the dichotomy of Antifa, like, the dichotomy between Trotsky and Lenin. You know what I mean? Oh, you know, I can't, no, I completely agree. Well I, I, not, or, uh, Trotsky was well-intentioned, but he was still wrong. No, yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with that. I'm just saying, like, I understand where they're coming from. But what I do, I do think... It's kind of dumb that um, Trump labeled them as a terrorist yeah, movement. That that's hilarious. That doesn't make any sense. Like, I mean, <laughs> I, I think that uh, if anything, maybe a gang, like what they did with the like what they did with the Proud Boys. Yeah, but, but not a terrorist. <laughs> no, they're just doing that. I mean, they're doing that so they can arrest anybody they want. They, oh yeah, no, totally. It's so like they can arrest them. anybody that's not a Democrat or a Republican. You know, anybody. Exactly. That's that's on some extreme of some sort. You know, they're going to label an anarchist or a, an Antifa member so they can arrest them. Yeah, because I mean, I, I feel like when most people think of an anarchist, they essentially think of like a black bloc. Yeah, person. Or they or they think of what's his name that killed Ferdinand and kicked off World War One. You know. Oh yeah. Exactly. Oh yeah. Like, like that's what they think about. Like that's that's probably the most famous quote unquote anarchist in in history. Or yeah, and then even in U.S. history, I think there was a guy who killed McKinley, who was like oh, a right, yeah. super duper pro. I think he was like a union member. He was like some. He was, he was essentially an anarcho syndicalist. I think. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, like the Unabomber, people think of him as an anarchist too, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like um, it's just extremists to the level of like killing people. Speaking of the Unabomber, that guy is very, I mean, I'm not like saying I do not <laughs> like him. That guy was interesting as hell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, was like a, well, he was like a Harvard professor of mathematics. Oh, yeah. Or something. Mm-hmm. He was like in MK Ultra and all that. <laughs> like, how does that happen? Yeah, but I mean, he he's was like, like a, he's like one of those people who is essentially he's in the society, but he's not of the society. Yeah, he, yeah. Lives, he lives in the society, but yeah. But I mean, he was like an anarcho-syndicalist kind of environmentalist with like an environmentalist tinge to it, you know. Yeah, I've never read his manifesto, but I've read synopses of it. You know? Yeah, I actually have never read either of them. I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of scared too. <laughs> it makes sense to you. I've heard <laughs> that a lot of people say it does make sense. I've heard no, the same thing. I've heard the same thing. So. I do not agree with that. I, I like my air conditioning too much. Yes. <laughs> my, he was I live in Texas. A gasoline-powered vehicle. Yeah, he was basically an Anprim. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. what I was about to say. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what do you guys think of um, this as an ideology? Uh, techno-primitivism? What? Or, or um, primitivist futurism? <laughs> is that like one of those? Wait, is that like one of those memes where it's like? I guarantee, like I guarantee, you there's some the people moon? out there. Well, I remember what I ended up doing at one time is I don't know. I was just bored on Twitter, and Twitter is cancerous and sucks up hours of your time. I remember I made a list of just like the wackiest ideologies I could think of, and I think and it was um. Hold on, I had a. I wrote them down here. Uh, okay, so number one, anarcho-fascism. Right. Yes, of course. I've heard of that number one. Yes. Number two. Oh, so yeah. Number two, monarcho-communism. <laughs> okay. Uh, number three, techno-primitivism. All right. Number yeah. The, ne- uh, the next one is actually something that would probably exist. Like, I, th- I think they do have Bolshevik um, movements in like Islam, some islamic countries so yeah that one doesn't make sense uh, eco-corporatism <laughs> uh, ethno-globalism Ooh. okay now that you could actually do that one you, you actually, just have to do a lot of genocide yeah that was essentially like yeah hitler of course he, he was a national like a hardcore nationalist but at the same time he wanted to take nationalism globally he wanted to That's take right. like, <laughs> yeah he wanted to make basically a global nation but, so yeah um reactionary futurism or reactionary progressivism maybe see uh, like when when you said uh what was it uh like what futuristic primitivism yeah primitive primitive primitivist futurism yeah yeah, I, yeah. I was thinking of the meme like where it's like on the moon and there are all these flying cars and there's habitat and it's like if uh if Cardi B had never released an album, like you know, look how <laughs> like all technology would be good. We'd be in like the fifties, you know, nuclear ideal of a society. Like like um uh, Fallout pre Fallout. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, not not Fallout seventy six though. That, that we don't talk about that. I've never played it. Neither have I, but we still don't talk about it. I've seen the videos. 
<laughs> okay, so next, this one actually, I am going to redact because this is totally possible. Democratic despotism. Yeah. Mm. I mean, if you think about it, like Julius Caesar, that's essentially what it was when you, yeah. when basically you get so much democracy that everyone essentially ends up electing a dictator that is an extension of the people's will. So, um, yeah. okay, next, egalitarian feudalism. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, good. and finally, this is a big contradiction. Um, Nazi ethno-Zionism, aka Nazianism. <laughs> I like it. Which is like not pop, which is like literally impossible. It contradicts itself <laughs> entirely. I, I want to explore this idea. Yeah, me too. Because it wouldn't last long. It know? would not <laughs> last long. Yeah. It's yeah. So uh, yeah, I hope that was not an offensive list. <laughs> oh no. Definitely yeah, not. But um because i came up with that list ironically anyway but yeah um back to the uh police brutality aspect oh that's right i, we I were do talking think about i that. do think that <laughs> yeah i do think that it is not necessarily in all cases because you can't say 100 percent it's like this but i do think that it has a history of being racially motivated um and i think maybe i, I think what a likely cake or what a likely cause is, is that in small town bumfuck Mississippi, it is more likely to be racially motivated, whereas in a larger northern city, it is more likely to be on an individual basis or um, making assumptions about somebody on an individual level um, or like from the neighborhood they're from or socioeconomic status i mean of course they're still linked to race because of the disproportionate amount of people from certain ethnic groups that yeah. live in so lower socioeconomic areas and across the board no matter what um ethnicities live in those socioeconomic neighborhoods so, like neighborhoods of lower socioeconomic status because they do not have access to the same institutions as people from higher socioeconomic statuses um that ultimately leads to fewer options in order to make a living. And so that unfortunately leads people gravitating towards crime. So I just think it's complete BS when people say, oh, blacks or Mexicans are criminals because uh, that, that's just the way they are because of the race. It's like, no, 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 no. All of this is downstream from economics. It has yeah. Nothing to, well, yeah. I just well, think, yeah. I just saw all that dumb BS Stefan Molyneux. Yeah. Stuff like that with that guy says, yeah, not a fan of that guy. So we, I, we, okay, we are not I'm a gonna... fan of Stefan Molyneux at this show. Anarcho-fascism. <laughs> okay, I wanted to give you a little bit of pushback on that. Uh, and But I'm also going to give you a caveat. Um, now, now you said that you, you think that like police brutality like in small towns, right? might be racially motivated, but yeah. in terms of like what we see, uh, you know, these videos that make, make their way online, usually, in larger cities, yeah. Yeah, they, they usually happen in larger cities. However, I'm, I'm gonna give you a caveat in that, you know, a lot of what we see is selective, you know? Yeah, 
And then it also, so, it also even goes back to the Civil War or back during Reconstruction, because both, the, both people in the North and the South, there were a lot of racists in both of those places. However, the kind of racism was very different. For instance, yeah. in the South, it was more of a collectivist kind of racism. Like, it's okay, yeah, they, the people, racists in the South, it was they didn't like black people in general or they thought they were inferior or whatever. Right. Whereas in the North, it was more of on an individual basis because kind of like yeah. today, you have a lot of people who are, um, what the, they took the germs, like, like what so, was like so individuals from exactly, the north exactly were Indoor. racist, but not as a society. You're saying yeah, exactly. So it's like inherently racist in the south, or it was inherently racist, or is was. There's definitely a lot of racism still down there, but um, racism was taught, right? Yeah, exactly. It was taught. Whereas in the north, it was more yeah on an individual basis because especially people who were of lower socioeconomic status. And they felt like people who were former slaves who were going north, they felt as if they were taking their jobs because they were willing to work for lower wages. And so then that led to a lot of the racially motive or like a lot of the racism in the larger industrial cities uh, during the reconstruction period. And then even up until after World War II with the demographic shift where you had whites living in inner city communities that were generally bourgeois. And then when you had like, like the flood of African-Americans and this is really around the time when Latin American immigration was starting to begin, they flee out to the suburbs then. And then at least that, uh, that urban, I don't want to say paradigm shift because it's not, not really the best way to demographic shift. Yeah, there we go. I don't know why I said paradigm, but but yeah, I think it's all because of causality. It all goes back to it's cause and effect. This thing happens and this thing happens, and then uh, the motivation. While it's always in a sense been racial, it's a different kind of racial motivation as opposed to how it was back during the days of like the slave trade, for instance. Okay, y'all. So I think it's. I think it is very. It's down. A lot of it is downstream from economics, and then people make that link between mm -hmm. minority communities and just lower socioeconomic status. So people see people see something on the surface and assumes that these people are something else. When in reality, the only reason they are like this is because they do not have access to the same kind of institutions that people of higher economic status essentially have. And that's actually why I'm really pro charter school in the inner cities. I agree completely, but uh, it's time to take a break. All right. Uh, all right, we're back from the break, and uh, on the second half of the show, 
uh, the politocrat told me that he had a recent change in mind about policing and that he has recently embraced uh, private policing. Oh, oh, is that, is that so, a cue for me? <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, what do you think yeah, about McDonald's, the Mc police force? It, it the Mc police well, force. McDonald's, it's disgusting, and my parents never took me there as a kid. <laughs> I eat there sometimes now because greasy food can be good uh, once in a blue moon. For a even hangover. For, even for breakfast. However, apparently they stopped making hamburgers cheeseburgers uh, before like 9.30 or 10.30, which is kind of annoying if I want to get something on my way to work. But they're fried. <laughs> I like their fries and their sweet tea. Alright, cool. So what do you think about them having a private police force? Do they have a private police force? No, but they should, right? Like, you know, you're you may not be a libertarian, but you're like libertarian adjacent. So you have to believe that McDonald's has to have a police force and what like Microsoft yeah. has has to have a police force and, and well, you have to so subscribe to your local this is a, have, you know, we're talking well, no, about I definitely think that I definitely think they should be able to have like their own their security. But when yeah. I talk about when I talk about private policing, I mean something a little bit different than probably you guys do because I know you guys are you guys are anarchists. And right. I, and, I, I, and I, I still believe in like a smart amount of government. So we're mainly referring to um, the objections to private to anarchy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then, you know, corporations will take over. Oh, OK. Oh, is that OK? That's what. You're yeah, yeah. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's a dig at me for what I said last time. Right. Oh, what are you referring to? <laughs> So, um, uh, the, the episode on the social contract. I don't remember, man. That's been 18,000 years ago since we've done <laughs> I don't know. It seems like it was Everything just, has yeah, changed. Yeah, no, the, Everything the, has changed. Well, no, but we did that during the COVID, like at the height of the COVID. Really? And No, yeah. It was, this is back, I think it was like maybe April 16th, 17th-ish. Holy cow, man! That still feels like a million years ago. Like two years, yeah, I mean, about two months ago. That's crazy. So, but yeah, no, I mean, it feels like, like I think I said this last time, but it seems like uh, with the quarantine. Well, thankfully, I'm not. Um, or I was on furlough, but it seems like the uh, the COVID turns the hours into minutes, and the next thing you know, twelve hours have passed by. Yeah, it's kind of scary. Like I have a, I have this like inherent fear of the passing of time. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a good fear to have no to be honest like no i'm actually serious like there's nothing that scares me more than clocks with an exception of maybe spiders <laughs> wow but yeah fair that's enough kind of, man that, that's a conversation for another time yeah but yeah no but in terms of um private police so up until recently so i knew a lot of people who in sort of the, the circles I've hung out in, um, who have always talked about private policing. And then, for instance, um, you guys know Tom Woods, right? No, who? I've never heard of him. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, anyway, so Tom That's Woods. That's a joke. So, yeah, I, I think I, I'm actually in his, um, in his uh, elite group. So Oh, wow. I'm, in, I'm, I'm part of the Tom Woods elite. On Facebook? Yeah, on Facebook. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> because, I, because I donate to his podcast. No, but anyway, so he's had, um, oh, I think he had, who was it? Someone on, well, he had like on, about two, about a year or two ago, I forget who it was, but they talked about private policing. And I was listening. I'm like, 
this makes no sense because how is there going to be any like national consistency and people are going to be like, oh yeah, no, that's illegitimate because they don't like the company or whatever. And so that that's yeah. what I thought. And I realized it's a very skin deep way of looking at it now mm-hmm. because the way I see it is in terms of um, government, like in terms of like local government policing, um, that's essentially equivalent to if the government directly built the roads, like as in government employees built the roads. Right. Instead of that's not what happened. They contract out private companies to do basically do their bitch work for them. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking that is actually a potentially good way to model policing after that, a good way to keep them accountable. And so after the George Floyd murder, even it was 100% a murder, um, I see, okay, so the cops are an, are an extension of the government, and therefore they possess the legitimacy to pretty much do whatever they, I mean, I know it's not legitimate, morally speaking, but they can pretty much get away with anything because they have the monopoly on violence, which Max Weber um, but that was his definition of government. However, uh, they are not beholden to anyone but themselves, and um, they can get away with doing whatever they do, and if they don't have cameras on or whatever, they can just make up lies about something that happened. Like, for instance, if the George Floyd murder was not recorded, they would have made something up, and they would have said, oh, yeah, he tried to attack us, and so we whatever oh yeah we found him like this just it's just some nonsense like that and it almost makes you wonder how how many times has that happened before yeah oh yeah so many times that is the disturbing thing to me and so i was thinking so very similar to how local governments contract out uh like construction companies build the roads for them or for instance my town um what we recently did is we got rid of the county um, garbage, uh, the sanitation engineers, as they like to be called. The yeah. sanitation engineering um, was centrally controlled by the township. And then we ended up getting rid of that. And we ended up hiring, hiring out, contracting a private company. So a private company now takes care of it. They come more than once a week now. And they don't just come in the early morning, they come sort of more mid-morning. So you could actually get up, if, if you oversleep, you can actually get up and still make it out there. And then instead of having to wait a whole nother week for them to come. And so like there are, they work out the contract with the local government, the county, and they come up, they have, they have conditions too that they present to the, the township and they're like okay so if you want to hire us out for this amount we have certain parameters that we would like the township to respect like the um like the trash now well the trash and the garbage now come on the same day which is good because it used to be mondays for trash fridays for garbage but now um we are not allowed to put the trash bags in the recycling can. We have to pour out the uh, the recycling into the can 
so there's no plastic bags. And in addition to that, we have to have like specific kind of cans for, for whatever reason, and then put them out in front of the curb, like I think a foot apart, something around like that. But it's like, okay, that's easy. That's easy enough to follow. It's not a burden, especially because of how more efficient it is now. And very similarly, I think a good idea for policing would be for law enforcement to act like that too. So you will have private firms, uh, law enforcement, and then it's very rigorous. It's a very rigorous process to become um, an employee. Like instead of like a background check being the last thing that you have to do. Like for instance, in the modern policing system, they're basically like, okay, do this, this, this training for a couple of years, do a background check last. That takes 10 minutes. Welcome to the force. That's pretty much all it is. Mm -hmm. Whereas it would be way more rigorous to join. And um, because these companies would have an incentive to make sure that complete and utter sociopaths who don't just want, who just want to take their anger out on the world. So they don't become caught because I feel like that's mostly what bad cops are. They're yeah. essentially, they're, they're, they were wimps who were pushed into lockers and like, thrown into trash cans back in high school and now they want to get back at the people who bullied them essentially. But so the companies would not want to hire these people where the government, they want to get as many cops as possible essentially. And then, but if the um, companies essentially vet these people, they will make sure that only the best people end up going to force psychological evaluations, make sure they're responsible and then a county, what they can do is they can contract out one of these companies and then the company will come. They will behave exactly how law enforcement behaves, but they will be beholden to the county itself. So as opposed to the cops essentially being our, the overlords that come and scare us and that we constantly are in fear of because I think everybody has an underlying wariness around the police. Like I don't think that there is any doubt about that. I, I honestly don't know how somebody could not be cautious around the police because right. they, they abuse their power all the time. However, with one of these firms that are contracted out to the towns, uh, they will have an incentive to follow everything to the book to not be bad cops essentially, because if they're yeah. bad cops that will look bad on the company, the company can get sued because it's much easier to sue a private company than it is to sue the government. Right. And they don't have qualified immunity and they lose the contract. They lose the contract and it will be much harder for them to find work after that. And then they'd have like a rating system probably. And very similar to if you have a construction company that completely fucks up a building, uh, that they're making and it tumbles down or some, some other random calamity happens, that construction company will lose their contract with the town and they will go and seek out another construction company. So until, so for instance, in this case, if, if the, um, the law enforcement firms, if the people working for the law enforcement firms are overstepping the bounds of their prerogatives, then they will lose the contract. 
the town will start looking for another um, police force. And then once they find the other police force, they will completely cut off or they will cut off the contract officially with the one that they currently have. And then, so you guys probably won't like this part, but if the, uh, the private company that loses the contract because they end up screwing up, uh, because we don't want them to just leave the town right away because then that could lead to some, some problems if they, if they do that immediately. But part of the contract should be that if we fire you, you still have to stay until this other company comes. Right. Well, yeah, you can put that in the contract. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. And now, I don't have but, an issue with that. Okay. So yeah, I was thinking that maybe you guys would because like maybe it would be like, like a government condition condition. And I know you guys are a fan of that well, kind of Well, for me personally, like I'm an anarchist, but I, I don't, uh, I also consider myself a realist to a certain extent, which might upset a lot of anarchists. And I, I mean, so you have, you haven't gone full Rothbard. No, I listen. I think ideologically, I am full Rothbard, and I think that uh, in a perfect world, like if that were tried, I think it would work, like Rothbard's system. But I'm not sure that can be reached. And what I'm getting at is I think everything you've laid out so far is like my minimally accepted uh, viewpoint on police. Mm -hmm. Like that's the, that's the, the minimal amount that I'm willing to accept uh, that I think would work for uh, a decent amount of time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, I'm personally, I'm an incrementalist. Like, I mean, I'm a, I'm a liberal and sort of the John Stuart Mill 19th century British empire sense. Um, but so that's me pragmatically, yeah. but philosophically, I'm essentially a voluntarist. So I think maybe we should try to incrementally work towards as close to that model as possible, even though I don't think we'll ever reach that because there will never be anything that will usher in utopia into this universe these utopian dreams are static and life has changed but anyway um i think that this model especially because they will be beholden to i don't want to say the will of the people because that sounds a little iffy but they will be employees of the town employees of the people they will be serving the people not threatening them essentially and if they do that, they will have to stick to everything in the contract. And it basically incentivizes people to be good cops. That's the best way to put it. Right. Okay. And, so, and that's like a, the profit motive, essentially. Yeah. So two things. Uh, I, I'm not as, I, I wouldn't describe myself as much of a, a pragmatist, but I do think that any way that you can make people's lives incrementally better. Like, I, I think you have to take that, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, however that may be. And in this case, like, that's what you're talking about is you don't have cops who run around without any, um, uh, they can run around and, and they don't have, there's not going to be 
the consequences to their actions like you would have with a uh, like a private police force like you're yeah. talking about so because uh, and then secondly uh i don't know if you guys have had time to to look at the article that i linked to in the chat here but uh in the uk um a few years ago they uh they contracted with a private police force that um has they, so they they arrested this is a, a daily mail article from a couple of years ago um yeah 2018 they like they at that point they had um caught 400 criminals and they had a 100 percent conviction rate and i mean i don't know you know what all the crimes were you know if there were some drug crimes that i you know i don't agree with but the, the point remains that they did have a hundred a 100 percent conviction rate which shows that like that incentive structure was there yeah and that, that that's actually why i don't think and this is where we're definitely going to disagree this is why I do not think that the courts should be privatized because mm -hmm. I feel like then that could lead to collaboration and collusion between the private companies and a private look, private courts. And they could essentially become one in the same and then we'll be back right to square one again. Um, there needs to be sort of a separation of power, so to speak, because I think there needs to be consistency in the justice system itself, not law enforcement. I think law enforcement, like I said, should be our employees. Um, but you know what? I was actually thinking another interesting way to structure the uh, private law enforcement could be to, uh, for different uh, law enforcement agencies to, or private agencies, to focus on different things. Like one of them might specialize in domestic violence. One of them might specialize in uh, like um, SWAT stuff. The other one might specialize in like basically being super troopers, um, just all that different prerogatives, different areas. And then the town will hire those individual firms to handle those specific things. So you don't have a single company coming and monopolizing all of law, like the law enforcement in that municipality. So that is another possible way to do it. Uh, that might be a little trickier in terms of logistics. So to play devil's advocate real quick, um, one thing that you do see when you're talking about um, government uh, contracting out to private companies is you do see some corruption, right? No, yeah, I've, I've definitely so, thought of that. The good old boy system. However, right. No, however, isn't that still preferable to what we have? I mean, I would agree, but yeah, I mean, I just well, wanted to. I, I, I can, I can, I can speak a bit on that. Uh, being in Louisiana, which has like the biggest good old boy system in the country, oh god, yeah. where yeah, every, well, like well, every well, every government contract is given to somebody's brother or somebody's cousin, and and it always fails. Like our roads are the worst in the country. And I mean, cause it's, it always goes to somebody that like, you know, somebody in, in the state government has their brother happens to own, you know, a contract company. And it's not because everybody is technically get the contract. Every, everybody's everybody's brother and sister and mother in like the deep South though, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean like that, that's, that's how it would work. 
like, why wouldn't it work that way? Like, even if there was a public court system and they were, and but there was a semi-privatized police like you're putting forward, somebody in the court system that is tied into who's paying the bill for the privatized police, like, why wouldn't, uh, I mean, I, I don't see why they would be so altruistic not to give the contract to somebody they have special interest in, whether that is financially or through family or, or something similar. Yeah, that's, that is a fair uh, devil's advocate argument. And that's one I actually never considered. But again, I think that's better than how it, currently is because I agree, least, I agree least, with that the, at least there is the incentive like the incentive to not be authoritarian shitheads and well the way I, the way the um the law enforcement like the police system works think of it so i to anybody who's listening who is like catholic or high church protestants or whatever um, well, it's mostly, so this is mostly a Catholic stereotype, but it works very similar to how it works with the church when you have a priest who like, diddles little children. They just get shuffled around quietly to a new parish. Yeah. Same, same with um, teachers who sleep with their children in public schools. That's right. They, they just get shuffled around to another school district. I agree completely. And I had, I had made that, like, I, I have somebody in my life that is very skeptical towards the Catholic Church. And I think, I, I think, uh, alternatively, I had made it to you, Liberty Zero, like through text or something. I said that, like, this cop situation is exactly the same as the Catholic Church. So, yeah, um, with police unions, for example, there is a major conflict of interest because like what I was saying with the Catholic Church, uh, just like a priest does something that is uh, inappropriate with children, they get shuffled around to a different parish and they have the, um, the, 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 the diocese. Yeah, the diocese um, is the one that handles that. Very similarly with police, they have the police unions, and if a cop does something bad, even if they be, they're put on trial, the likelihood that they will actually be convicted, let alone convicted for murder, is exponentially low. And right, well, everyone in the courtroom is a cop because there is that relationship between the criminal justice system and the law enforcement. For instance, you, you often have a lot of high-ranking cops who go on to be public prosecutors. And um, I don't know, sometimes even judges, actually, although it's a little more rare. But there's that link between both um, criminal justice, justice department, criminal justice system, and the police departments. And oftentimes people join the police departments just as a conduit so they could ultimately rise up and be part of the criminal justice system. Well, look at Kamala Harris, for example, who interestingly and hilariously earlier tweeted 
we need to demilitarize the police departments. Yeah. <laughs> Which, does anybody believe that? Like, after all, like, I'm sorry, but just especially after that one debate, <laughs> that one debate after she was called out, I, I just, I, I, I mean, I, I never much cared for her to begin with, but I lost any inkling of respect that I may have had for her after that whole spat she had with Joe Biden. But, but yeah, I think there's a very, there are very scary parallels between how the uh, police department works and how um, parish, but church parishes work. And then, so, and while, um, kind of moving on, while... Well, real quick, real quick, um, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up, uh, and, and while I, I do think that private policing, even in the context of like contracting with, with local governments and stuff, I, I, I think it's, a, it's better than what we have now. I would be remiss if I didn't bring up um, like the, this country's history of, of private police where you had um, companies like the, the Pinkertons uh, and other such companies um, where, where they would like literally get away with murder. Um, uh, so like, I think that was because in, in, there was right, no over, there was no oversight. Well, real, real quick, let me, uh, let me uh, finish my thought here. Um, so like, for instance, in, uh, West Virginia, um, and, and a lot of this I'm getting from, uh, this episode I listened to from, uh, the status quo, uh, uh on, on the battle of, uh, Blair mountain. Mm-hmm. And, and basically these private security companies that got hired by the, uh, by the mining companies, they would like. So the mining companies, you know, you have the company store, that whole idea where where the these uh, companies would own, would own people, basically, right? And um, like, like in the, the South, like the South Park arc with the Amazon. No, I'm not familiar with that, but okay, uh, never mind. Oh, um, well, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, basically, pretty right. Much. And so when uh when when people would for whatever reason, they would uh, fall out of favor. They would do something that would really piss off the company. Maybe they, you know, run too much debt up or, uh, you know, try to, you know, organize a union or whatever. These people would be like kicked into a slum town and then just randomly the, uh, these private, uh, private companies would send a, like a rail or a, a train through with uh these armed guards uh on the uh on the in the boxcars or whatever and they just shoot at people as they went past randomly well, I, think, I think the main difference between this or what well, well, well real, real real quick let me let me finish it up i won't i won't take that much longer um but in the in the several instances uh and this is not just with the west virginia stuff or the coal mining companies this is just uh in several different instances uh, with uh, with like strikes and stuff like that, these private companies, uh, you know, they could go to court for what well, was definitely murder. Right. And they would get off. Like, you know, they'd have, you know, some people prosecuted, but like they would get off with, with, uh, with murder. I think one of the, um, so I see what you're saying. But I think the main difference 
in this instance, what I'm talking about and the instance with uh, like the Pinkertons and the West Virginia, West Virginia um, coal mining companies <laughs> is that it was a coal mining company that hired these, uh, these um, private security companies or mm -hmm. what would be the equivalent to a private security company today. Whereas this is a local municipality that would be hiring them out. So right. They are, the so yeah, so it's not because, it, so there's not really going to be, there's not so much a risk of a merger, like a, a private merger between different companies. I mean, it's still, you, you, you'll probably get a little cronyism, but they will never truly merge in the same way. And in addition to that, it might even not be such a bad idea. And so generally I'm pretty skeptical about, about like mass referendums and that sort of thing. Um, because well, I mean, while I, I, I'm, I'm a fan of democracy, I'm not quite a fan of mass democracy, but mm -hmm. um, perhaps just so there is more involvement between uh, the, uh, the townsfolk or uh, people living in the county and in terms of them having a decision and participation in deciding who these companies are going to be, maybe have a referendum or not even a referendum, like an actual vote that makes the decision. So they will see the different options that they have for the companies and they will be able to take a look at what the terms are and um, the kind of get to know the kind of people who are in charge of it uh, and then and they vote on which one that they want to have protecting them. And that could also even potentially forge a closer, like a tighter knit relationship between the police or what would replace the police and people living in the town. And they will definitely be more conscientious about what they do and even um, like even police officers who aren't murderers, like that bastard who killed George Floyd, even they can be, they are very irresponsible a lot of the time and just want to do the easy thing to take care of a situation. And moving on to a good example of that. So yeah, why there, while there is a disproportionate amount of police brutality uh, towards uh, Americans, especially today, the next biggest demographic are people with mental illnesses. And as somebody who Can himself that real has moved to like three people with mental illness, um, okay. this is something that I actually take kind of personally. Like there was a, I think this was 2015 or 2014, there was a boy, maybe about 19 or so. I'm not hearing this, do you? No, he cut out. Okay. He didn't know what to do. So what his dad ended wait, up wait, doing... Wait, 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 wait. Can you start over real quick? Oh, okay. Like, from where? Uh, you said there was a boy. And I was oh, did you not hear what I... Yeah, you cut out. Okay. Did, did you hear what I was saying about, like, the mental health stuff? Yeah, you said that uh, after, like... Uh, after black people 
the second uh, group was uh, people with mental illnesses. Yeah. So I guess we'll start from there. So let me see. So while it's true that uh, black people, they are victims disproportionately of police brutality, the next largest demographic are people with mental illnesses, which is something I take very seriously as somebody who happens to have mood disorders. And I'm going to cite just one reference or one example. I think this was back in 2014 or 2015, I forget where it was, but it was in a pretty well-off suburban community. And there was this boy who was still living with his parents. He was about maybe 18, 19, I forget the exact details, but I believe he had, I don't want to, don't know for sure, but I think he had schizophrenia, like really bad schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. But... I mean, schizophrenia is bad and sad in general, but like apparently it was a spectrum. Yeah, and people in everyone in the neighborhood knew it, and they were very tactful about it, and so they knew what what was happening when it would happen, and so they wouldn't that like the the family made sure to tell them so there wouldn't be any issues, and apparently the neighborhood was pretty accepting and understandable. Um, However. One night, he ended up having a really bad episode, and they really couldn't calm him down. He wasn't he didn't even have a history of violence, but they didn't know what to do. The dad freaked out and called yeah. the cops. Yeah, yeah. Big mistake. And so he was outside. He was kind of just like, like kind of, I don't know what he was doing. I think he was just running around the yard. He wasn't hurting anybody. He was yelling, running around the yard. Cop comes up, gets out of the car, goes over to the kid, says, we don't have time for this, and shoots him in the head. Holy shit. Did not get charged. He he was protected by his uh, his, his little um, his little cop buddies, and mm-hmm. nothing became of that. They tried to sue the police department. Nothing came from that, and... They lost their they lost their son because of that because of cops and so while I think that there is so I'm not going to say I'm not going to outright say because I know that a lot of people um, are of the or are of the opinion like the police they're systemically racist I'm not going to say whether I think they are one way or another but regardless of whether they are or not. Um, and I think this is something everybody can agree on, regardless of the position they take in terms of race, is that they are systemically violent and really have no regard for handling things appropriately. They just want to do the easiest solution because they want to get back to their precinct and continue sitting around eating donuts and drinking coffee and doing whatever other cop shit they like to do on their free time. I don't know. I just feel like they're really lazy. A lot of it is probably because there isn't a profit motive. That actually might be it. And they're just very careless in what they do. And they just want to go in guns a-blazing because that's the easiest way to take care of issues. And I think that's wrong. And I think if there is private policing, uh, they will be forced to get more creative in how they handle things.
All right, yeah, so the final point that I wanted to make is that um, uh, when I was, oh, let's see here. <laughs> I'm trying to re recall what I was, what I was talking about. Um, yeah, so the final point that I wanted to make is that I do think that uh, having private courts would be preferable to, um, to, to what we have now, which is public courts, uh, you know, with uh, the government, with, with government run courts, right? And um, before you were talking about how um, you thought the problem might be with, um, you know, you're talking about the security companies and the, um, you know, in these, in these coal mining or, you know, whatever the companies that hire them uh, were the problem, with, you know, have, having that, uh, that merger, right? But I, I, I could see, a, I could foresee a scenario where you have a extremely large uh, security company that can, you know, handle hundreds of, of these different contracts, right? And, and they'll have a lot of um, influence um, with government and, and in the justice system, right? So why not make it smaller uh, security companies? Like I think, I think I was saying this earlier where you have a different company that will specialize in a different aspect of law enforcement. Like you'll have one that focuses on domestic violence you'll have one that focuses on like um, stuff the SWAT team does, which is definitely going to be the hardest one to keep in check. But, you know, another one that does like traffic tickets. So like the super troopers, essentially, you've seen that movie. Right. But you're still talking about, um, you're still talking about like governments doing the hiring. Right. Yeah. And you know, you, you did, I'll, you know, you did say referendums, right? Like, yeah. as that that is uh, having a possibility, right? So, I mean, it, it could be possible that that um, you know people make that choice, right? These yeah. these small companies. So, um, because at least even though the town will pick a couple of them to choose from, they'll probably pick the ones that suit their interests the most. At least we would have some say in picking which one it is, and then we can look and see how large it is or what their background is, any controversies, so we can make an informed decision. Yeah, um, at the same time though, voters can be easily easily manipulated. Oh yeah, of course. Right, to where, the like, oh okay. Collectively, the plebiscite are not necessarily the uh, brightest of bolts. Right, and you know, you see uh, people now, they, with Trump. different, with different uh, issues, they'll call for, for the federal government, right? So I could see, yeah. I could see them saying like, well, okay. 60% 60, 60 of Americans supported deploying the national guard or something right. with this whole thing. Like that makes that, that scares me. And it makes me think 60% of Americans do not deserve 60% of Americans thereby do not deserve to vote in my mind. Yeah. Well, and they don't deserve Liberty. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, I think everybody does, but those who, Actually, but, no. But you if, know you, you're but right, if you act, frankly, yeah, if you actively, you know, those those who desire to um, trade liberty for security deserve neither. Right. You yeah. know. So. So yeah, no, yeah, I completely, I, I agree with that statement, with the ethos of it. But yeah, so I think that the only way that um, private, like the private courts in that system would work, would be like with, and personally, I'm not pro decentralization to this extreme. But let's say you had like secession within communities and you had small communities that kind of did their own thing, which I'm sure um, you and um, 
cotton are probably four. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that that would only work, that would work like that because you can't have a bunch of different private court companies in a, under a single or in a single nation that is under a single body politic because there's going to be absolutely there's going to be inconsistencies in terms of like the legal system as opposed to a sort of flat, fair, across the board system based on, I don't know, like, hold on a second. Sorry, my uh, computer froze up for a second. That's all good, yeah. So yeah, I mean, they're, they're pretty, there needs to be sort of a consistent jurisprudence in a civil society. And I feel like that each like private court, they kind of have their own way of doing like the same thing almost. However, well, I, yeah. Well, okay. I, I was going to say that um, in terms of meeting out justice in a, in a fair or, or just way, um, you know, what we have now, I would not consider um, a, as doing that effectively. In fact, you know, obviously, you know, in terms of uh, prosecuting these, these different, uh, you know, so-called crimes where there's no victim, uh, et cetera. And like, we definitely don't see that. Um, you see injustice in, in uh, cases, for instance, like uh, uh, Ross Ulbricht, um, where, you know, he, he got sent to jail for, for creating a website Bay. and, and yeah. uh, right. I'm um, not Pirate Bay, um, Silk Road. Silk Road, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I do see, so you're talking about. It's still, that's a brilliant business idea too. I'm oh, say that. Definitely. But um, I did, I did want to, and I, I do want to say I'm not like, I'm not at all qualified to be talking about um, private courts and how that would work. Yeah, neither am I. But, I barely, <laughs> in terms of private police, I'm still, I haven't even scraped the surface in terms of uh, my knowledge on the exact inner workings of how it would hypothetically work. So, right, you know, I mean, I it's... Think Rothbard wrote, maybe I should read a little bit of what Rothbard wrote about it. And even though I'm not the biggest fan of Hop, he, from what I've read of him in terms of his idea of policing, he is on the right track. So I think I'm going to want to read maybe a little more of him too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I but, will but re- re- real quick um, in terms of the private courts. Um, I, I would say that you would see um, as time went on, right? Not immediately, but as time went on, you, I think you would see a sort of a like common law uh, yeah. start Hopefully. starting to, to form where basically you're, you're your courts are going to have um, an, incent- an incentive structure that uh, is is based. Like, it, it'll have free market incentives, right? Yeah. And so the courts that are making fair rulings are going to be the ones that uh, get hired, or they're, they're the ones that are going to get used, right? And you know, maybe you're not going to have you know, some courts from the Northeast having, you know, making the same types of rulings, uh, you know, with certain types of cases as what you might see 
in the Midwest. But in terms of that area, yeah, I, I, I do think that you would see um, like legal precedents being or uh, I'm, I'm what, what about hate? What if they like come up with something like hate speech laws or something like or um, trying to think of an example or because the thing is, even though hate speech is called is an example of being a total dick. Mm-hmm. Like anybody who uses quote unquote hate speech or what we socially refer to it is being a dick. However, that is one of the main reasons for the first amendment, the right for people to be complete pieces of shit in right. when they're, when they're talking, when they're using words. Uh, it's only until they get violent. Like that is the whole point of free speech. You either have free speech or you don't have free speech. And what a lot of people don't realize is the Supreme Court does not recognize any such thing as hate speech. And while I am against quote unquote hate speech, I like on a moral level, I think that it is very problematic to actually make laws banning certain words because then you have, um, you have to consider that there are different contexts in which people say these things. And I just think that my biggest fear of that would be you'd have like a private uh, courts making certain things like laws that should not be laws or that infringe on um, like people's rights. So I, I don't know. That's what, yeah. But I also, but I think the best place to start um, before, I mean, because we are not going to be able to go to the private law enforcement overnight. Yeah. I think what we need to start by doing is being more rigorous and conscientious with um, uh, body cams. 100%. And so th- there are uh, four, I know we, you want to end this in a little bit, but there are two, there are two just more ma- major points that I want to make. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, well, the first is that the government, despite no matter how, no matter how much people have been talking about this, this has been like the biggest discussion for the past, what is it now? Three weeks. Um, po- you've heard politicians talking about, how uh, how shitty um, this is, how bad the system is, and how it needs to change. And then everyone's tweeting and um, saying stuff like giving like all this um, nice sounding rhetoric on TV. But what have they done to even try to fix the system? There are two things. Number one, uh, on a national level, they started introducing what I like to call virtue signaling legislation. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. So they recently, and I think it's a total waste of time that they did this. They voted on making a federal crime. It is already a crime. Can you repeat that real quick? Making what a federal crime? Lynching a federal crime. (laughs) Waste of time. It is, it is illegal in all 50 states, which means I know the point of making something a federal crime is so that uh, if something happens in a state where something isn't a crime, then there could be federal overreach and then they could come in and deliver the justice that needs to be delivered. However, there's no need for that to happen because no matter what, somebody who lynches somebody in one state, in that state, will end up going on trial. 
Right. And on top of that, we have not in, uh, that's not to say that there aren't people out there who probably want to lynch people and those people are evil, but no matter what, if they lynch somebody, they are going to go to jail no matter what. And that fear ever since lynching became a hate crime in every state there, or I don't, I think it was like a little bit after, I don't know exactly when the last state to make it illegal was, but, or to make it a, uh, a hate crime. Um, um, but there has, there hasn't even been a lynching in about 40 years. Mm -hmm. So, and that is, yeah. And because the, uh, because it was made, like I said, it was made a hate crime and generally hate crimes, the, because of the, uh, difference in motivation. Well, I personally don't think that motivation should affect, um, what the sentence is because I'm, I'm a consequentialist. So I think that no matter who you do something to the motivation, the deontological motivation doesn't ma- matter. What you what matters is that you did it and that you killed another human being or that you raped another human being or that's, that you, yeah. That's something that I beat the drum, like, like I haven't done it on the podcast, but yeah, I've, I've had that conversation several times where I, uh, I forget, I think I was doing some research in college about it, uh, about the, some hate crime bill. Yeah. And I was reading it and I realized like, well, this is stupid. Like, it, yeah, like you just I mean, said, I know well, it I know doesn't well matter. I know it's well intended, but it is a waste of time. Like, I don't even think, like, I don't even think it was well intended. Like, it, it's just, like you're saying, it's virtue signaling. Like, it because doesn't. I don't, because it almost makes me wonder, do they actually want to change anything? Or no, they, they want to be able to say, hey, you I did signed off. I, yeah, uh, I sponsor this hate crime bill. Oh, what's a hate crime? Oh, it's it's when you it's when you commit an actual crime, but you know you actually had like mean intentions in your heart. You know, like, you did it because you don't, you don't like somebody. For, dead. I mean, there are so yeah. many different things that motivate you. Like, I think that. I mean, is there is there such thing as a love crime? Yeah, exactly. Or like, yeah. I, <laughs> Like, like, I, no. I don't care if you're if you're beating me with with hate in your heart or whether you're completely indifferent. I don't want to get beaten. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for, I mean, I'm not somebody of color, so I don't know, and I will never know what it is like to be discriminated because of or on that ba- or discriminated against in on that, that way. Basis. Yeah. But either way, I think everybody feels or. I assume that everybody feels the same way when the same thing is happening to them, at least in the moment, no matter uh, who the person is. Like, I mean, even I'd still, I'd still be upset if my best friend punched me and uh, as if somebody wanted to rob me or somebody who hated me punched me because it does not, it's not nice to get punched. It does not feel very nice. Right. However, you might, uh, you're probably more likely to present the other person who's not your friend because you, you and a friend are probably punching each other for bullshit reasons. But, <laughs> but so, and then another piece of virtue signal, virtue signal, like virtue signal legislation is actually going on in my state right now. And so I live in Virginia. And so remember back in Virginia, back in, what was it? I think... 2017, yeah, August, I think it was like August 14th, 2017, there was the, uh, they were going to take down the Robert E. Lee, or Robert E. Lee statue in uh, Lee Park, yeah. extraordinary, extraordinary UVA. 
And I actually have a, a couple friends who went to UVA. Um, but they wanted to take down the statue. And so I, I'm not necessarily against taking down the statue. No, so I'm not going to defend... I'm not going to defend the statue, but I'm also not going to defend taking down the statue because that's not the points that I'm trying to make. Mm-hmm. But so they took down, or they were going to take down the statue. No, I think they weren't even going to take down the statue. They were just going to change the name to Emancipation Park. And people talked about the potential of also moving the statue. Um, but then you get those stupid Nazis coming in and doing their blood and soil. <laughs> They won't like. They won't replace us. The Jews won't replace us. Just all that stupid, vapid nonsense. Mm-hmm. And uh, then the next day, they have their uh, they have their little their little party down near the statue. And then we know what happened there. A little protester was killed by some shithead driving a car into the crowd. Um, and that must suck because I know what it feels like to get run over by a car. It is not fun but I was fortunate enough to survive. But so we, so you know how we saw that so much chaos. It almost makes me wonder if taking or if legislation to take down the statue, if that will happen again, maybe. And so I actually understand both sides of the argument there. Like, yeah, you have people on the right who are like, Oh, it's history as a history buff. I completely get that argument. Yet on the other hand, on the other hand, I think yet at the same time that having the statue there is celebrating essentially an armed rebellion against the country that we are all citizens of. And I'm, I, I, I think Abraham Lincoln, there are definitely criticisms to be made of him. I think you and I could definitely agree on that. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it's the Confederates, I, I think, or I know, morally speaking, they, the Union had nothing on them. Like, I'm sorry, the Union had nothing on them. And I, I don't know how many, like, or if there are any, like, Southern apologists who listen to this podcast or not. Oh, probably. But, but... yeah, because I know there are, there, there are a couple people who use certain ideologies as an excuse to believe in like believe certain things um because i I personally believe that for the south it was definitely um they they wanted to preserve slavery oh yeah i I don't think that until the end of the war the north cared about ending slavery no because plus you also see and you know a lot of the yeah so like a lot of the abolitionists they wanted to repatriate them all to like oh to yeah to, to Africa. Africa and, and then, then you, even yeah Stevens you get Liberia book, after the war yeah in, in the book um by Harriet Beecher was it Harriet Beecher Stowe Uncle Tom's Cabin I think yes so. yeah yeah so and she did a great job in the book of displaying the racism and the anti-racism that existed on both sides like mm-hmm. I think you had um oh what was it there was this one character she was like a she was like a middle-aged woman and she was she was like a hardcore abolitionist but she was also talking about how Oh yeah, the um, the slaves—they're like—they're a different color. They don't belong in our society. All that stuff. We need to move them. But I really feel for them because nobody should be enslaved. That's definitely racism. Yeah, yeah. And then you also have the people. You have a uh, Legree, who's the main bad guy, who comes in at the end, and he's the one who's like torturing uh, Tom. And 
he's what's interesting is also he was a uh, what, what's the reverse of a carpetbagger again? They come from the north. He basically came from the north uh, and became southerner. Mm-hmm. And so it shows kind of the nuance of racism on both sides. And then you had a the little girl. Was it? Oh, it was some like I think biblical name or something. Or, no, a was it? No, it wasn't. Biblical. It was like Ava or something. And then how she was from the south. She was very like pro abolishing slaves. And then she managed to convince her father. But then you had the father's brother who was like a hardcore slave owner who from the south. And so it just shows that rape, that's, that racism is a problem that is not confined to any one particular area, area and is just like a problem in general. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that, that's the depressing, here's the depressing thing. I don't think that we will ever 100% get rid of racism until, no, yeah. we, until we end up meeting aliens. But even then, <laughs> But even then, all of that racism is going to be redistributed onto them because we'll finally figure out, oh shit, we're actually all one people. We're not alone in the universe. Um, we're scared of these guys. And then that anxiety will essentially bring everyone together. But is that a good thing? Is that really, a, is that really getting rid of racism though? Or is it just moving the racism to be concentrated and focused on a different area? And so in terms of the, but in terms of the, uh, back to the, the statues, for instance, it's like, yeah, okay, you want to move the statues. That's, uh, that's a, I think that that like the intent behind it is noble. However, oh, yeah, you, how, you can see how both that, sides on that. How, yeah, but how is that solving? Like, and I'm not even I'm not even particularly against it anymore. Like, I mean, I used to be more skeptical, but then I actually started getting educated and learning about how, um, like, the, the the pain it causes some people. And I'd actually see. Here's a good analogy. You know, Erwin Rommel, right? Back during um, World yeah. War II. Right. So. He was apparently a very noble person, and he was not, he, he did not have a history of anti-Semitism, mm-hmm. but he still fought on the wrong side. Yeah, yeah. There is a reason that there are no statues in Germany dedicated to Erwin Rommel. And oh, a, lot yeah, of these, yeah. a lot of these Confederate statues were actually not built until the early to mid-1900s. Yeah, it was and, like during the Civil Rights era. Yeah, exactly. Quite a few of and, them, yeah. And so... Plus, it's plus, and you also need to consider that um, stat, founding fathers never wanted any stat. And of course, I, I, the founding fathers were definitely better people than Confederates. But <laughs> the founding fathers did not want statues built of them. Yet over time, we started hailing them as gods. Yeah. And if you go to the well, Capitol, you have to build up that mythology. The Capitol building—they are literally—they're depicted as Olympians in the like in the rotunda. Yeah, yeah. And that's honestly, it is both, it is both glorious and terrifying. And then the <laughs> thing is, it's actually a sign of a civilization in decline when society start building giant statues and glorifying their ancestors. And so it's kind of interesting how they do that. And then you also have, so in, a, so in contrast to, there are two Robert, I'm going to talk about two Robert E. Lee statues real quick. There's the one in Lee Park or Emancipation Park now, I think it's called, uh, in Virginia. And then there was one which back up until I think 2015 was in Louisiana. So the presence of a Robert E. Lee statue in Virginia at least makes it makes sense logically, but there yeah, is no log- but there is no logical reason for a Robert E. Lee statue to be in Louisiana. 
Robert E. Lee didn't even ever go to, he never went to Louisiana, not even during the war. He did not campaign there. Why? It just seems really suspicious to me. And I think you could compare Robert E. Lee to Rommel in a lot of ways because he was, he was seen and even regarded by Northerners, including Abe Lincoln, because what's kind of funny is they even stayed friends and sent correspondence with each other and even went to dinner with one another during the war, which is kind of funny. Wait, really? Um, I didn't know about that part. Grant, Grant, I believe Grant and Robert E. Lee, they dined together several times. Oh, wow. Yeah, you don't hear that part. No, but so Lee, but no, so Lee was apparent. uh, um, So I've I've never met Robert E. Lee, and I don't think I ever, something tells me I probably never will. (laughs) (laughs) But um, but so as history has told us that he was apparently not a bad person, but that doesn't change the fact that he still fought on the wrong side. I don't think we should be glorifying anyone who's fought on the wrong side. But my, my solution to solving this would be for, what, for every town, like if there's a Confederate statue in a town, referendum, if the people want to keep their stupid statue and they vote on it, like if there's like a large amount of the population who are obsessed with the statue, it's just like if they vote on it and they want to keep it, just let, let's not cause any, tr- let's not cause any trouble. Yeah, I yeah. think it's, I think it's fair for communities to decide what, how their communities will look and what their communities stand for. Mm-hmm. Even if they, I mean, their communities might stand for something shitty because they do event. I'll probably think less of them for wanting to do that, but it's just, I, I, I don't like the principle of, for instance, you'll have a state government coming around and saying something like, okay, we're going to move all these we're going to move like all these stupid statues. Uh, you guys don't have a say in it. Even the towns that 100% want the statue there. I mean, it's their town. So on, I think the fairest thing would be to let towns vote. I know my town, like we, my town has a Confederate statue um, right out front of uh, the courthouse. And I, I'm sure my community, we live in Northern Virginia. I'm sure if my community voted, they would probably vote to take it down and move it to a museum. And if that is the will of the town, then that is how it should be. And I think that that's what they should do in Charlottesville. And I am confident, probably, well, I'm actually very confident because of the whole white nationalist rally back in 2017, that they will probably vote to move the statue to a museum. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, because you're not erasing history, but you're putting it into context and you're also being like sensitive about it. So, um, but what the governor, what the governor is doing, even if he is the ethos of what he is trying to do with saying, we're going to move the statue. Well, I think it should be the town that does it. And, but I do think that it's maybe coming from a good place and the end result that he wants is morally speaking the best outcome however the two problems with that are number one i think we should give it up to a vote for the town because those are the people who actually live around the statue and number two uh, do you hear me yep yep okay i'm just checking and number two what is that doing exactly to solve police brutality Mm. It almost, so 
And again, while yeah, I think like, like you said, going back to virtue signaling. Yeah. So, and while I think that the, um, it's definitely the action itself is definitely in terms of outcome is not as useless as the, uh, making uh, lynching a federal hate crime when it is already a hate crime in every state. Um, I don't think it's as useless as that because at least that has an outcome that will be different. Like, you know what I mean when I say that, right? Like at least yeah. that will have an outcome, but it still does not solve the problem itself because right. the problem is at, the, at its heart, police brutality. And while I think, well, I do know that black people are disproportionately affected by it. And I think that that is one of the saddest truths that our society faces right now. They are not the only ones who are victims of police brutality. So I think what we need to do is we should expand the focus to police brutality in general. Like, of course, we should still talk about the racial aspect of it. But I think the heart of the issue, what we need to do not necessarily, I mean, yeah, we should still quote unquote tackle racism, but the racial aspect is not the heart of the issue on a fundamental level. It is the police right. brutality that affects, for instance, African-Americans, Mexican-Americans, the mentally ill, um, it's just in sometimes just even random bystanders who get their houses accidentally broken into. Well, okay, real but, quick, let me, let me insert something in here real quick that I just, uh, it kind of just occurred to me. Um, yeah, so you have, you have these different solutions, right? That um, you were saying, like you're saying, they, they don't really fix anything, right? And yeah. in fact, when you're talking about, okay, we're making this about race, uh, we're talking about taking down these Confederate statues that, you know, like it or not, some people care about that. Well, yeah, and I, I understand are, their these argument. Are, I don't necessarily agree, but I understand where they're coming from. Right. Well, these are these are the divisive issues, right? And Very divisive. It, yes. And it occurs to me that like it's purposely divisive, right? You have Abraham Lincoln saying, "A house divided cannot stand." Well, yes and no, right? Uh a nation, right? A people group, like they, they can't, they can't unify uh, if they're, if they're constantly, if the state, right? Cause that's, that's, it's not the same thing. A country and a state, they're not the same thing. If the state keeps them divided, the state can, that's the, like, they can stay healthy, right? You have a divided people that like, they're not going to stand up to the state if they're divided. Right. Yeah. And so you see all these solutions that the state's coming up with, they're not actual solutions, right? They're, these aren't good faith Boy, solutions. everyone should go out and probably consider buying a gun. Yeah, honestly. yeah. Like, I don't know, at this point, like, yeah, I think gun, gun violence, yeah, it's an issue. However, at the same time, what are you going to do in a situation? Like, even if you, like, you might think that, the situ it's like if you buy insurance, if you don't buy insurance, you're like, oh, I, think, I don't think this will ever happen to me. But what if in the chance that it does, you're screwed. And so I'm not really big. I'm, I'm not part of like the gun culture or anything. I'm not a gun nut. No, I don't go around wearing like NRA shirt. I don't even have a gun. Yeah. But at the same time. Well, the NRA, is, NRA sucks. So. NRA is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I just think they are absolute. 
they're absolute garbage total trash but um but yeah but anyway um i think that it's definitely something to consider because what if a cop breaks into your house without a warrant or you're walking down the street and something similar to George Floyd is about to happen to you and you see it coming? Or if there's just some guy who comes and wants to like attack you, something like it's that. At, it's you know, at like, the point. Gun, what is a gun-free zone going to do? It's like, yeah. oh, do you think somebody's going to be like, oh crap, it's a gun-free zone, damn it. And yeah. it's not going to go. There was actually, I think, an SNL skit about that like years ago. Oh, that's funny. I yeah. But, but like on your point, with your point about uh, you know, the cops, with this whole episode is about cop, uh, police brutality, right? Yeah. But, you, you, you know, you have these cops, they'll do these no-knock raids, right? And it's, it's at the point, we've seen enough people that, you know, get killed, that, that they're not even resisting, right? Or, this is, act, this is or, actually coming to the... This actually is very related to the very last point I wanted to make also. Well, okay, yeah. And, yeah, and let me, but no, let me, but I want to hear what you have to say too. So. Right, well, it, it gets to that point where you, where you have to ask yourself, um, if a cop comes through my door, right, and I know, okay, I know it's a cop. Well, am, am I screwed either way if I resist or, or don't? You know, because if you're in the dark or, you know, it... The, the cops, you can't they always guarantee. Go the they always go for the dog first. Yeah, and you cannot guarantee that they're not going to shoot you, or you know, brutal, you know, brutalize you and your family. And you have to. It's it's something that you have to think about. At least in my mind, like, hey, if the cops come through my door, you know, the the conservatives will say, well, you should have just complied. Well, Another no, that does, that, that's not always how it yeah. works. There's no George one. Floyd was like, murdered. he was Brutal. murdered and he was not resisting to any level that required the, was, you know, any, like, any, have, that level of force at all. did not have a heart. These cops did not, none of them, like he was literally, he was literally calling for his mother. Yeah. When like, these guys get psyched just, up, they get like, psyched up when they get in these situations. And then, and then the they just stood around and okay. Honestly, I know this sounds kind of radical, but I'm just gonna outright say it because this makes me so mad. That's what this podcast is about, man. If I were one of those cops, I would have shot that other cop dead. I don't wouldn't have cared what would have happened to me, but that would have been the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, once you start murdering somebody, you're pretty much already a murderer. (laughs) Yeah, right. And you know, like that's that's something that I thought about, right? Is like, then, okay. Oh, if, if I'm, if I'm in that group of people that's filming George Floyd being murdered, right? And at least tell, I'd feel, at least I'd go through my life in prison knowing that I did something right. Oh, I mean, you'd, it, with, with the four of them there, like you'd probably be dead, but like, I mean, that's something that I'm like, I, I'm hoping that I'm the guy that, you know, if I'm not like, if I don't use lethal force, then, or yeah, if I don't use lethal force, at least, you know, you're trying to tackle the guy, right? And that's why that's but why you I have think, to you have to hope that you're that person that's going to act. That's why I think with the um with the the not, again not the protests the protesters but the people who are actually rioting or not even the rioters necessarily but the people who are looting or the right. people who are burning down buildings. So it almost they what they're doing is they are attacking and burning down buildings of people who have nothing to do with this. 
like I think that's very wrong. And a lot of them. Yeah. So there was this one guy, a fi retired firefighter. Always, he always wanted to open up a restaurant. Finally, opens up his restaurant, his entire life savings, and then COVID happens. So he he has to delay his grand opening, and then this happens. He gets his entire restaurant burned down. People yeah. didn't. This, this was also a person of color. He was black. Yeah. Yeah. And his an, the entire restaurant gets burned down. And when he's cleaning up the debris, some assholes come and steal his safe. That is just like. That's, that's that, what makes me mad. Do, do, do you know what? Do, if, okay. So if they're actually going to make a statement, they should burn down police stations. They and should swarm and attack cops. They did that like, to one, but I mean. The vast majority of the destruction was was done to people that had nothing to do with it. Yeah, and it's like I mean I could sympathize with the protest. I can sympathize with the looters too. I mean I I mean I want a new laptop. <laughs> I want a new laptop, but am I going to go out and do that? No, because you're stealing somebody else's property, and property, whether you like it or not, is still an ex it's an extension of your labor. Yeah, it's an extension of what you do. And so what's interesting is, so this also ties this back to the, uh, like the whole um, breaking and entering with cops and then also the, um, also the, uh, what we were talking about with the virtue signaling legislation. So what's interesting, okay, so I'm going to outright say I have never been more disappointed in a single politician in my life than I have been with Rand Paul. Yeah, yeah. And he's just went off the deep end and went into total Trump territory. Well, I, but did However, you, uh... I think he, I know that's what I'm getting to. Okay. I think yeah. know where I'm going. So he, um, so in my opinion, he is still, he's what I'd say. So I, I don't, I think he's pretty shitty, but he has nowhere. He's not as shitty as every other Republican. And um, he's the in, best I, Senator. In which... the, yeah, in the, <laughs> yeah. And then, so what happened was, so he ended up voting present on the, uh, hate or on the federal hate crime thing mm. people gave him so much shit for it even uh, even cory booker who he's had like a bromance with for years because <laughs> because they're very like they agree on civil liberties and like uh foreign policy and stuff um and surprisingly cory brook cory booker is actually the most pro like free market democrat that there is in the senate um but so what he ended up doing, or uh, Rand Paul, what he ended up doing was, after he got all that shit, he introduced legislation <laughs> that was, um, oh, what was it again? I forget exactly what it was, but it had to do with uh, cops breaking, like... Yeah, no more no-knock no -knock raids. Yeah, so... And it's called the Breonna Taylor uh, Act, I think, or something. Yeah. And so because of that, I've gained a little more respect for him. That is the kind of legislation that we need. That is actually the kind of action that we need. And, of, and it's, it's just, it's just ridiculous. I mean, it's just ridiculous that that is not what we're focusing on. And yeah, okay. It's like the virtue, like virtue signal, like legislation might look nice on the surface and it might make people feel more comfortable. And okay, that's, that's fine. It might be symbolic as the federal hate crime one was but it's not solving the root of the problem and yeah. I've, I've been reading malcolm x's auto ever since this thing happened i ended, that I guy was pretty woke oh yeah i bought <laughs> malcolm x's um his autobiography and 
honestly, I, I like him more than Martin Luther King at this point. I think he makes yeah. a lot more sense. Like, well, Martin he was Luther also, King was a communist. No, he wasn't a communist, but I no, liked his, um, I liked his, <laughs> I, I like his, uh, his non or his peaceful protest type thing. However, I don't think that, I think Malcolm X definitely philosophically speaking was a lot better in terms of, um, especially because of his stance on um, defending your property and believing that um, that's like black communities need to be the ones to own, own the businesses they need to, um, then guns too. He was very pro second amendment. Yeah, yeah. And he, he was also, his favorite book is also my favorite book, believe it or not. And I was super excited to find that out. What is um, it? The Decline of the West by Oswald Spengler. Okay. Gr greatest history book ever written, in my opinion. Well, along with Arnold Toynbee's A Study of History. And if for whatever reason, well, what, what I think, if any of my coworkers end up listening to this, I'm still debating whether or not I'm actually going to post this on Facebook because of the controversial uh, nature of this topic. And people, <laughs> you never know when your words are going to get taken out of context. Yeah. But in, the, in the case that I do have uh, any coworkers who listen to this, um, or at least listen to this episode because I'm on it, um, they're probably going to crack up after I mentioned decline of the West because I'm literally, I work at a bookstore and everyone like make, makes fun of me for always bringing that book up and always recommending it to people <laughs> because it's like, it was from, it's a book from 1917. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's really, it's a really weird book too, but I'm not going to get into that because this is not about the decline of the West. However, I feel like these issues are definitely linked to the real decline of the West. Um, with the uh, COVID and the um all the other stuff going on right now and then secession in in uh what is it seattle yeah jazz yeah but so what the last thing i do want to say is in terms of police in terms of public police they think that they're the they think that they're the be all end all. i mean the be all end all of making decisions but that they, they I mean, it seems like that the um, that the rules that are written for them to follow, they, they just treat them like guidelines, like mm -hmm. because there's really no one to stop them. Like uh, there's no one has a pet, not even the town really has any actual authority over them. Right. And so they can pretty much do whatever they want, get away with it and say whatever they want because everyone's going to believe them. And it, look, in and history, the courts are in their it, favor. The, the, yeah, and history, and as Napoleon Bonaparte once said, what is history than just a set of lies agreed upon by men? That's history is so written true. by the strong, by the victors. The mm -hmm. cop is almost all the time going to be the victor. Right. And I've come to the point where I view modern law enforcement. So, I, I, like I said, I view it on an individual level. I think there are good cops. I have met good cops. Yeah. I'm not being a bootlicker here. I mean, as individual, I judge cops on how 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 appropriately and how nobly they handle their responsibilities. And I think there are a lot of those, a lot of them out there. But it's an individual basis. It's not an institutional basis. I think the institution itself is rotten to the core. And well, it's like going back to what you're saying about Rommel, right? You disagree exactly. with his job, but 
was he a bad person? Yeah, not, exactly. Not necessarily. And yeah, and he I, made but the I do wrong think decision. That, do, he shouldn't have think, been doing what he was doing. Yeah, and I do, but I do think there are cops who do follow the who handle who handle themselves well and actually do follow things to the book and are fair. However, I that is definitely that definitely does not represent the um, I, probably not even the majority. Honestly, I've, I've lost any. I mean, as the author of the aforementioned book that I cited once said, optimism is cowardice. I have since lost any optimism that most police officers are good people and handle yeah. themselves well. However, yeah. I will, however, I do think that there are indi many individual cops who are good people and are even good cops. And once we get, once we move, move towards a private policing, those are the people who I'd want in the private security companies that would be contracted out. Yeah. And what I find really ironic about this whole thing is, so you have Republicans who for years, like conservatives in general, who for years have been talking about, oh, we need to privatize everything. Let's privatize Amtrak. Let's privatize healthcare or, or let's privatize social security. Let's privatize um, Medicare, Medicaid. Um, let's privatize whatever. Like all these government services, mm -hmm. I have never once heard any conservatives say, "Let's privatize law enforcement." Yeah, and they love the They're FBI. Silent. Yeah, exactly. They're silent, completely, one hundred percent silent on this issue. And it just goes to show how they are inconsistent hacks mm -hmm. on certain issues. They are not consistent, and it's it's ridiculous. But so I'm going to close. Like at least my part, unless you have anything else you want to talk about, because I'm I, I can be here for as long as you want. I'm no, kinda... we, we I think we have a pretty long episode at this. Yeah, point, we do. So, <laughs> so I'm gonna I will close by uh by saying or by saying this, and again, this is also related to um what we were talking about with uh with breaking with cops, basically cops breaking and entering. Like let's face it, that's what it is. So Thomas Aquinas once said. A king who is unfaithful to his duty forfeits his claim to obedience. It is not rebellion to depose him, for he, is an, for he is himself a rebel for whom the nation has a right to put down and thus physically remove from his office. Mm. So he's basically saying a, a king who, who works against, who works against uh, his nation's best interest is not a legitimate king and therefore right. must be replaced. I think we can use the same argument with cops. You know what? A cop who breaks into your house without a warrant, as far as I see it, they are no longer a cop. They are a home invader who is wearing a police uniform. That is all they are. And because they are overstepping the bounds of the prerogatives that are given to them by the law itself, that are enshrined into law, because they are overstepping the bounds of what they were told they can and can't do, I think that you reserve every right to defend yourself and it is even the moral thing to do to do with him as you wish, whether it is maiming him, whether it is shooting him in the kneecaps, whether it is killing him, he is harming you and he should not be viewed as a police officer because he is not. He, he's illegitimate at that point. And I think the same goes for police brutality, um, home invasion, or anything that is violent. Now, I don't think I, I don't think you should go out and kill cops like randomly. I think that is equally as immoral. But right. you get to a level. We are all human beings. We all have the same natural rights, 
just because somebody is wearing a police uniform, that does not mean that they have, that they, are morally, that they are morally worth more than you. Yeah. And at, at the end of the day, if you did nothing wrong and they are trying to overpower you or do something, you have your right as a human to defend yourself. Yep. Because you have done nothing wrong. If you've done something wrong, then I do think that you deserve to be like locked up. And that is a legitimate responsibility of like a police officer to do. However, if you didn't do anything wrong and this person is aggressing against you, you're just, it's just another human being who's coming to attack you. That's all it is. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I'm, this is an issue I'm very passionate about, especially from the, um, from the mental health perspective. Because I mean, because personally, that's the only one I can really relate to because I'll never be able to relate to like, I, I'm, I, I'm never going to be a black person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so and I, they experience it differently. Everyone experiences like everyone who has experienced police brutality, not even like both on a demographic level. And within that demographic level, on a personal level as well, everyone who has experienced police brutality has the same thing in common. Even if they experience it in different ways, they're all experiencing police brutality. Yeah. And that is why this issue needs to be collectively, like all these different um, advocate communities like Black Lives Matter, um, like mental health advocacy, advocacy groups, um, and caps, uh, just any, just all these movements that actually care about this and who are against police brutality, pro peace, pro dignity, pro like liberty or pro equality or pro liberty and pro equality, just all of these things. The one thing that can unite all these coalitions is a desire to change the system, a desire to abolish the criminal justice department as it exists and to reform it into something that works as it is supposed to work. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, you don't have to agree on everything, but like you said, if you can agree on this issue and I'm not, I'm not a, uh, a political solutions guy, but you know, if, if you can, figure out a way to where individuals like George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Duncan Limp aren't being murdered. Yeah, what about that other guy who was like at the construction site? Construction site. Isn't there the guy, it was back in maybe like, was it like Armory something? I don't know. I mean, it's, it, it, I don't know. But I he probably, was like, you know, you're not. And, the, and then these people were like, these two men were stalking him because they thought that he was like, breaking in oh, oh and, and yeah they, yeah arbery and then they called the cops and then the cops just ended up shooting him yeah uh ahmad arbery i think so yeah well except was, it wasn't it wasn't cops was it was it was actually a couple it was a uh a, a former i don't know if he was a former cop but he, he used to work well he's a he's he a may have been a former cop i don't know he's but. a wannabe vigilante all, all murderers are murderers i i don't think that yeah there's I mean, a cop who murders somebody is a, is a human who's murdered. Is it's the same thing as a as a um, I don't know as a as a plumber who murders somebody. Yeah, 
Yeah. And because at the end of the day, because like what I said earlier, um, a cop who murders somebody is in my eyes, no longer a cop and they're just a murderer in a cop's uniform. Yeah. Well, you have to, you have to think in terms of, uh, individuals and you have to, you know, as much as you can, you have to reject that collectivist mindset. And, uh, yeah. yeah, And I I think that's a, that's a good place to to stop it here. Uh, cotton, cotton could not, uh, continue with the, the recording he, he dropped. Uh, he was having all sorts of technical issues tonight. Wasn't he? Uh, yeah. Was, was, was his, did he say that, uh, his computer was frozen or did he say, yeah. he was, or did he say he was, is it almost sounded like well, I vaguely heard him. It almost says the first time it sounded like he said, I'm going to go watch frozen. Well, that wouldn't surprise me to be honest. That's <laughs> typical cotton, just abandoning the interview, you know, halfway to, to go watch frozen. That's yeah. Sounds like him. Uh, that's, that's, uh, sounds like a good way to spend the night, you know. Well, the hey, you know, cracking open an IPA, watching Frozen. That's that's cotton. That is, yeah. All right. But, hey, man, it, it was uh, <laughs> it, it was good talking to you, man. I'm I'm uh, I'm really happy with the the interview or the discussion that we had here. Went um, a lot better than last time, I think. Not that last time wasn't good content. It was just all the technical difficulties and stuff. Yeah, I still haven't listened to that last one yet. <laughs> that's well, you know, that's a that's a trademark here at Dissecting Liberty is uh, technical difficulties. We uh, oh yeah, at least that's, that's a at least that's a good gimmick to set us apart from uh, or set you guys. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not part of that, but to say, you are our most frequent guest. <laughs> but um, yeah, but yeah, it's been it's been a good topic, good conversation. I think we. We've laughed, we've cried, we've gotten angry. That's well, yeah. You know, that's that's how it is when you're on the when you're in fringe politics, right? Yeah. Well, I'm not. I, I actually, I'm pretty milk toast. Uh, you're getting there, man. <laughs> you're getting there. Well, I'm trying five, to. Five months from now, we're gonna be we're gonna be talking about. Uh, I don't know some some anarchist uh, position that you now have. I don't know. I you, think you've, I, you've moved I to private I, policing. So I'm just saying it's, it's a matter yeah. of time. It's pot. Well, what was it? What is, what's, or I forget. It was like a quote. It was like, what's the difference between an anarchist and a minarchist about, about six months, six months, man. I don't know. I think the most, the, the most, the closest to anarchism that I'd ever get to would probably be, um, a, a, like a Nazikian night watchman state. Mm, with, yeah, yeah. It, but the only difference would be the private police because Nozick, Nozick was for public police, but this would be putting private police uh, in its place. Yeah. So, so basically one third less of what Nozick believed. <laughs> well, Hey, I would take that. Um, yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, end it here. Uh, and we're not going to be able to do our, typical outro since since cotton abandoned us to watch him frozen but uh yeah thanks for joining us everyone uh thank you politocrat our uh favorite statist here on <laughs> dissecting liberty and uh yeah i'm gonna go yeah just uh i'm terrible at, in- at uh yeah I, I didn't think this outro through but uh anyway we appreciate it we had a great conversation and uh i definitely think we'll have you on again All right.
I look forward to it, just as I said last time. Don't know what the topic's going to be, but it'll definitely be a topic. Yeah. All right, man. Good talking to you. You as well.